The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Grab your Bibles if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> and we'll be going all the way through chapter 10, verse 13 together tonight. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 is something I think about often, something I reflect on quite a bit. And one of the habits that I'm trying to get into, I'm getting a little better at it, but as I, as I read, I'm trying to just write out sermon thoughts in a, in a book or somewhere and not necessarily flesh those thoughts out, but just kind of make a note of it. Just, oh, that was interesting. Maybe that could be a sermon, or maybe that could be something at some point. And recently, I wrote one of those thoughts down in the office, and uh, that was probably a couple months ago. And I wanted to share it with you tonight from, from this passage that I've mentioned. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, you'll see that 27 is the last verse. And oftentimes what we do is we stop reading at the end of a chapter. Now, chapters are helpful and verses are helpful, but we have to remember that when the original writers wrote, they didn't write in chapters and verses. They just wrote. That's something that we have done. We have put in uh, chapters and verses. And now we've done that, you know, in a way that has been very, uh, very studied, very well thought out. There's a purpose behind those. Um, but for me, I'd always stop at verse 27. And I would look at that and we'll talk about it a little tonight, but about being spiritual, uh, spiritual disciplines and uh, what that looks like. Running the race, be strong, be faithful. These are great words for us. And so it's something that has always went into my head. Uh, it's something that I related to very easily, uh, being somebody who played a lot of sports and did different things. It made sense to me reading this passage as Paul would uh, talk about it here. But I do think that there's something that I've been missing in this passage by stopping at verse 27 and not connecting it all the way through, uh, through chapter 10. And that's what I want to look at together tonight. So follow along with me as I read uh, chapter 9, verse 24, through chapter 10, verse 13. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses uh, in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. As we look at verse 24 through 27, we see Paul talking to us about discipline, about being disciplined in our walk with the Lord. And something that I, I want to remind us tonight is that the Christian life is a very serious life. It's not something to just be taken very, very lightly, but it's a serious life. It's a serious way to live. And too often we minimize our walk with the Lord, or too often we see uh, pastors and teachers or churches minimizing what it means to walk with the Lord. And so on a personal level, what we do is we put very little effort into it. We say, well, God has done everything for us. He's saved us by his grace. It's nothing that I can do. And so thank you. And we just kind of live our life. We just go on and live our life. But we see all through scripture that we are called to put effort into this relationship. It's not a one-sided relationship. It's a relationship that needs effort. Maybe you've been in a relationship before that was very one-sided. And you finally came to the realization, why in the world am I in this relationship? I'm doing all the work. I'm doing all the effort here. It's me trying to maintain this. They obviously don't really care. And so, you know, maybe it's like a past boyfriend or girlfriend that you had until finally you woke up and was like, I don't need this. Right? I don't need to be in this situation. Why am I doing something like this? And see, too often we allow that in our relationship with the Lord. We say, eh, you do everything. I'll come to you when I need you. God, I don't feel good today. Heal me. You know, oh, God, we're having troubles. Could you fix the troubles? And then it doesn't happen. Well, God, where are you? And I wonder if God says, where have you been for the last 10 years? I've been here. I've been in this relationship, but you've put nothing into it. Right? There's been very little effort here. And so too often we minimize our walk with the Lord by putting little effort into it. Often we think about it minimally. Minimally. I don't know what your average day looks like when you wake up in the morning. I don't know what you do. I'm the type of person that uh, if I need to leave the house at 7, I want to wake up at 6.55. That's my goal. And... I'll shower the night before. I'll make sure my clothes are laid out. I'm sure everything's ready. So it's like a, a straight line to the door. Pants on, shirt on, grab, you know, I make tea now, so that takes a little bit longer. Grab that, grab a banana, out the door. That's all I need, right? I don't need anything else. But there's a problem with that way of life is I don't think about the things of the Lord when I first wake up all the time. I don't slow down. Uh, for some reason in my life, I've always tried to make it a way of how can I do the most, the fastest, and the most efficient. And so that's where my mind goes. 
That's what I start to think about. How can I get things done in a timely manner and jam it all in as much as possible? And, and then I can sit there and think back on the day and say, man, I, I thought very little about my relationship with the Lord, about my personal relationship with him, of what he would have actually had me do today. Another way we minimize our walk with the Lord is we never plan. We don't put any planning into it. I think this is where a lot of husbands get in trouble with their wives is there's no, there's no planning. You know, oh, today's, today's our anniversary. Ooh, there's a gas station on the way home. Uh, she likes chocolate. I'll get her a candy bar, you know, and I'll, I'll get her a Coke. She likes Coke and that's horrible, right? There was no thought. And I was sharing with some guys recently. I'm like, listen, in our calendar, we have set it up for ourselves to succeed. Mother's Day falls around the same time all the time. You can put some effort into it. Your anniversary, same date every year. Know it's coming. Plan. I mean, that's easy. Her birthday, easy. You should easily set yourself up for success if you just do a little bit of planning. It always drives me crazy, but youth camp comes around and parents tell me the same thing. Well, I didn't know when it was going to be. It has been the same one of two weeks every year since I've been here. It doesn't change. It's at the end of June. We used to leave on Father's Day. I recently moved it to the week after Father's Day. But if you want to go a step further, I told you the dates in January. You had them printed. And now you say, oh, I didn't know it snuck up on me and we had planned this over it. We didn't know. Yes, you did. You just didn't plan for it. Why? Because it wasn't that important to you. I mean, that's really what it is. It just wasn't that important. Now, there could be oversight. Don't get me wrong. We all do that. But how often in our life do we take our walk with the Lord seriously enough that we say, I need to plan so that I can grow in my relationship with the Lord? I need to plan time. You know, I need to, I need to make sure that I'm going to read five books this year that will help me in my relationship with the Lord. And so I have to plan to do it or, or whatever it might be, right? When you plan your vacations, when you plan all these different things, are you thinking about the things of the Lord? Are you making sure that you're faithful to him in the midst of those? See, I think a lot of times we don't even plan for those things. You see, but if our walk with the Lord is important to us, then it really will be the key factor in our life and every decision that we make and everything that we do. He will be the one that we look to. It'll impact our decision-making in all things. And I know some people will get really silly with this, you know, and, oh, I prayed and asked God, what should I wear today? And I guess you can do that. I think there's some general guidelines that we could follow to honor the Lord and what we wear and how we dress. But praying and seeking him always in our decisions and what I think will happen sometimes is God will change our plans if we notice you know, sharing with students, sharing with people going into college, saying, as you look for what college you want to attend, are you really thinking about your walk with the Lord? You say, I, I want to go here to this public university. Well, is there a Christian university that maybe would do just as well and serve you just as well in your field, but where you're also being taught and trained in God's word as well? They say, well, Pastor Tim, that's going to cost more money. Well, is it worth it? Should you maybe really think through it and pray about it? Is, it? is it worth it maybe to spend that little extra money? 
You're going to pay, you're going to pay your student loans for your life anyways. Just tack a couple extra on, I guess. You know, I don't know if that's wise financial counsel, but <clears throat> seems to be the case in our lives. Um, and so it does change your plans when you factor into those things. My plans were not to go to be a pastor. I never had those plans in my mind at all. I wanted to go play basketball, but God changed those plans in my life. And then if, if, if the Lord is important to us, if it's a key factor in our life, we will work diligently on it. It'll be something that we work on. And when we read this in verse 24 through 27, that's why I'm sticking here because I, I like this passage. Paul does not talk about an easy discipline. He's talking about running a race, which if any of you run, it's horrible. Running is not fun. Nobody likes it. The people who say they do lie. There's no way they like it. It's the worst thing in the world. Every step is excruciating. Everything is horrible in it. But if you're going to be a runner and if you're going to be good at it, it takes so much effort. You can't, it's very hard to take days off. It's very hard to get slack because you see that you're not as good as you were before. Or he goes into talking about a boxer, training himself to land punches, training himself to know how to duck, how to dodge, and how to hit when he needs to hit. I mean, these are things that we can really think about and saying as Christians, this is what we are supposed to be doing diligently, working on our relationship with the Lord, seeking after him. And yes, sometimes it means getting rid of other things in our life. Sometimes it means getting up early. Sometimes it means staying up late. Sometimes it means canceling plans that we had because we want to serve him, right? And so we diligently work on that. And we must always be practicing these disciplines. And we do it for a number of reasons. I, I just wrote two down. Uh, number one, it says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So we discipline ourselves so we can be godly. Bible says, be holy because I am holy. This is a task we try to fulfill. And we do that by doing our spiritual disciplines. But then also, we do it for perseverance. We do it so that we will persevere. And I'll get to this more at the end of the message of what that means. But we want to be able to persevere. Even this week at camp, I wasn't feeling this well, that well the first couple days. And I was playing this uh, kid in basketball. And I mean, it got to the point where it was like I was seeing three basketball hoops. Uh, my, my vision was going out. My heart was not feeling good. And all I needed was one more basket. That's all I needed was one more basket. And I just couldn't get it. But I kept telling myself, you do not quit. Do not quit. They drag you off this thing before you walk off and say, I'm done, I'm tired. You don't let that happen. You don't let them see that. But too often, too often in our spiritual life, at the first little chipped fingernail, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, no, I don't know about this. See, we're called to persevere. Whenever I talk about spiritual disciplines, I try to push this book. It's a book I highly recommend to anybody in here. It's by Donald Whitney. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's a book I've bought for a lot of people and handed to them. And in this, he talks about the disciplines of Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, learning, and also perseverance. It was a great help to me in my life, and I would encourage you to get it and read it if you're interested in the spiritual disciplines. But just what that looks like, 
on a daily basis. As we get to verses 1 through 11 of chapter 10, what we see is we see Paul start to talk about a lack of discipline, about a lack of discipline. He just talked about disciplining himself, needing to be disciplined so we will not become disqualified. And then he gives us an example of what it looks like to not discipline yourself and to be disqualified in verses 1 through 11. And he does this by talking about the exodus and going back to the wandering in the desert. If you look at verse one through four, Paul talks about the blessings that God poured out on his people, right? They were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, right? He's saying all this stuff that all the people had, all these blessings that God had poured out on Israel as they were leaving Egypt and they began wandering in the desert. But then when we get to verse five, we see the sad reality. It said, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. And he says, how do I know this? Because their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They did not see the promised land. They did not get to enter the promised land. They received all of this good from the Lord, all of this blessing from the Lord, but yet there was no perseverance there. And as a result, their bodies were scattered, it says, in the desert. And so when you get to verse six through 10, I think what, you, what we see is we see it describes what a lack of self-discipline looks like. Look at verse six. It says, now these things become, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In verse six, Paul is encouraging us not to fall into the trap of self-indulgence over discipline. Self-indulgence over discipline. I think we all understand what that looks like. We, we all understand what that means in a lot of different areas in our life. I don't know if you've ever tried to cut back on, on anything at all in your life, but it, it's hard. It's really hard. Say, so, you know, I'm going to cut down on TV or I'm going to cut down on eating sweets or I'm going to do this or do that. It, it becomes very difficult. And what Paul is encouraging us, he says, don't fall into the trap of self-indulgence over discipline. And then he goes into four sins that Israel found themselves in. In verse seven, idolatry, right? In verse seven, idolatry. You remember the story. Moses goes up on the mountain. He comes down and what does he find? An idol that they had made, that they're worshiping, that they're raising up. And so they slipped into idolatry. And this is something that we so often struggle with as well in our walk with the Lord, if we're not disciplined. Most of the time, most of the time, the idol that we worship is the idol of me. Most of the time, that is the case. I find it to be very hard for people to even recognize that, let alone deal with it. It's very hard. I think it takes somebody very spiritually mature to really sit down and think through their life and reflect it according to God's word to see, man, I worshiped me a lot today. But that really is the case. A lot of mothers and fathers worship their children. That is their idol. That is what they serve. That is what they put their money towards. That is what they put their time into. And they just totally serve their children and it becomes an idol in their life. 
And we must not let idolatry creep into our life. We must have discipline to recognize it and to root it out and to to get rid of it. But then he goes to verse eight. And we see that they struggled with sexual immorality so much so that 23,000 fell. This is something we see all over the place. It's almost impossible not to see something sexual. If you're watching TV or even driving down the road, looking at billboards or going for a walk in the park is a sexual landmine <laughs> oftentimes to go for a run and you gotta put blinders on to see what, not see what people are wearing, right, as you run. I'm just gonna look at my feet as I run or whatever, whatever the case might be. But this is a struggle that many of us have, I am sure, if not all of us struggle with, but trying to fight that is a discipline to remind yourself, no, I don't, I don't look at that. No, I'm not going to think this way, right? No, I'm not going to view her in that way. I'm not supposed to. I'm going to fight that. It's a decision that we have to make. When it gets to verse nine, it says, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpent. The testing of God. I think we do this a lot in our life as well. That's one of those times where we say, God, if you love us, then why am I not being healed? God, you know, if you're really there, what about this? And it's little tests that we throw out. You know, I'm going to see if God's listening to me today. You know, God, let me have a good day today. Well, God wasn't there. I had a, I had a bad day. How often we, we just test him or, or we set him up on the scale of good and bad in our life. We have to watch out for that and discipline ourselves to know, no, that is not true. This is who God is. This is who I am in him. No matter my circumstances, no matter what my, my situation that I'm facing, God loves me. I don't need to put him to the test. He's proven himself in Christ. Then in verse 10, this is a verse I talked about a lot at camp as much as possible. Complaining. It says, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. I think this is something we all fall into. Constantly complaining. I I don't know if you think about it. God, God brings this up to me a lot. I complain about the weather. And then I think, who controls the weather? God controls the weather. All I'm doing is complaining to God. More rain? Cold again? Hot now? Where's the in-between? That all falls to the Lord. And it's just a complaint to him. So often, man, we complain and we complain and we complain that it seems to be our media, seems to be our lifestyle. We feel we have the right to complain about everything, to have our say about everything. Man, in the church, do I hear complaining all the time about everything? And I think, why do you care about that? What does it matter? I don't care. Why do you care? I think it's because we're sinners. Really? It's because we're sinners who are not working hard enough in our spiritual disciplines to recognize our complaining to recognize our bad attitudes. Listen, I do it too. I, I got home from youth camp and I can't remember what I told a man. I said something and she said, are you serious? You're already gonna start on that? I don't remember what it was. I have no idea. I, I was tired and I don't know what I said. I don't remember, but I remember it clicking in my head, complaining. I remember, yep, you're right. That I don't need to do that. That is ridiculous. I'm sorry. But that's what we do. And so we have to discipline ourselves. In James chapter one, 
verse 14 through 15, it talks about the slippery slope of lack of discipline. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When we discipline ourselves, we start to realize early on, I'm being lured here. <laughs> I'm being lured here. God, this isn't truth. Because you tell me that this is sin and I'm being enticed by it. No, I will not. I, I will not look. I will not do. I will not speak to that. I will not see that. I will not join this conversation that they're having. Because I know the road it leads down. It leads to gossip. And I'm not entering into that because I know I want to enter into that. But God says no. And so I discipline myself. But when we aren't disciplined, we don't recognize it. And we just do it. We fall into it. Sin creeps in. It just creeps in from a lack of watching out. And it sets ourselves up to lose. It sets ourselves up to be destroyed. So then Paul gets to verse 12 through 13 after talking about the lack of discipline and what happens. Then in verse 12 through 13, he talks about the strength of discipline. The strength of discipline. And in verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. Man, a lot of you ladies like to get these uh, fancy signs, you know, with verses in your house. You should put this one in your house. You should put this one on the door as you leave. Take heed today lest you fall. Because when we, when we, well, really when we wake up, but for this purpose, I'm going to say, as you leave your house, you are entering the battlefield. You're entering the battlefield. And it will be proven out how well disciplined you are as you enter the battlefield. And so Paul is saying, listen, you think you're tough? Take heed lest you fall. I can't think about how many boxers I've heard say, give me three rounds and he's knocked out. Give me three rounds and he's knocked out just for the turnaround. And guess who gets knocked out? Them, their loud mouth. They're loud mouth, right? The Bible tells us pride comes before what? The fall. We, no matter where we are in our relationship with the Lord, no matter how long you have been a Christian, take heed lest you fall. You are not there. You have not achieved. You are not Jesus. Take heed lest you fall. We must make sure that every day we spiritually and physically discipline ourselves so that we are prepared to do what is necessary to follow the Lord. And those are not separated spiritually and physically. I don't think that those need to be separated. I don't think they're disconnected here. See, as we discipline ourselves according to how God calls us to, it enables us to persevere until the end. That's what it enables us to do. This is how we fight temptation. I've always, I've, I've always memorized chapter 10, verse 13. I don't know if you have this one memorized, but it was always comforting, right? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This was the new connection that blinged off in my mind as I was reading this passage. 
I started to see a connection between verse 24 through 27, where I'm training myself to run and I'm training myself to fight to verse 13, to where now I'm being tempted. And it says, God will make a way for you to get out. But sometimes it's fight your way out and run. Now, I absolutely will never fight my way out and run if I haven't disciplined myself to be able to do it. If I took all of us outside today and said, guys, here's how I'm going to show you the truth of God's word. We're going to go run a mile. Let's go. What would you guys do? You'd get in your car and you'd leave. Most of you. Now, those of you who run and are disciplined, you'd say, yes, finally, something I'm good at at church. Everybody's going to see me. But it'd be a hard task, wouldn't it? Because you haven't trained, because you haven't gotten ready. Can I tell you it's the exact same way in our temptations? If you have not trained yourself and disciplined yourself and fought the fight to not fall into sexual immorality, guess what's going to happen when that opportunity arises? You're going to fall into sexual immorality because you're not strong enough to fight your way out of it. You're not fast enough to run away. You don't have the endurance to run far enough to get away from it. Paul's saying we got to discipline ourselves so that we can flee these temptations, so that we can run from this temptation. Spiritual disciplines is what God uses for us to have the strength we need to last, the strength that we need to persevere. Now, perseverance is a tricky thing in Scripture because we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest no one should boast. But we cannot avoid in Scripture all of the different places where we are called to persevere. This is one of them. Take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you do not persevere. If you go into your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 4 through 6, I didn't mark it, but I'll flip there so you can flip with me. You'll have time. Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six is a passage that so many people I know struggle over. They say, this is the proof that you can lose your salvation. <clears throat> and I want to reference this just a little bit. Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six. It says, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. I think this passage has to do with perseverance. If we fail in persevering, then what we prove is we are not his. Oh, you might have tasted of his goodness, just like those people did in the desert who drank from the rock, who ate the spiritual manna that God had given them. Oh, you're with the people of God but you are not one of the people of God. You've tasted it and your perseverance proves it out because only those who've been saved by the grace of God will persevere. God does not lose his own. It does not happen. He holds us with his strong right hand and he never lets go. Charles Spurgeon has a quote. It's really long. I apologize. I don't normally read quotes this long, but I want you to listen to it. This is on a sermon from Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six. Try your best to follow along with me if you can. It says, and now lastly, we come to improve this doctrine. If Christians can fall away and cease to be Christians, they cannot be renewed again to repentance. But, says one, you say they cannot fall away. What is the use of putting this, of putting this if in there? 
like a bugbear to frighten children or like a ghost that can have no existence? My learned friend, who art thou that repliest against God? If God has put it in, he has put it in for wise reasons and for excellent purposes. Let me show you why. He says, first, O Christian, it is put in to keep thee from falling away. God preserves his children from falling away, but he keeps them by the use of means. And one of these, one of these is the terrors of the law, showing them what would happen if they were to fall away. There is a deep precipice. What is the best way to keep anyone from going down there? Why? To tell them if he did, he would inevitably be dashed to pieces. In some old castle, there is a deep cellar where there is a vast amount of fixed air and gas, which would kill anybody who went down. What does the guide say? He says, if you go down, you will never come up alive. Who thinks of going down? The very fact of the guide telling us what the consequences would be keeps us from it. Our friend puts away from us a cup of arsenic. He does not want us to drink it, but he says, if you drink it, it will kill you. Does he suppose for a moment that we should drink it? No, he tells us the consequences and he is sure we will not do it. So God says, my child, if you fall over this precipice, you will be dashed to pieces. What does the child do? He says, father, keep me, hold me up and I shall be safe. It leads the believer to greater dependence on God, to a holy fear and caution, because he knows that if he were to fall away, he could not be renewed. And he stands far away from that great gulf because he knows that if he were to fall into there would be no salvation for him. If I thought as the Arminian thinks that I might fall away and then return again, I should pretty often fall away for sinful flesh and blood would think it very nice to fall away and be a sinner and go and see the play at the theater or go get drunk and then come back to the church and be received again as a dear brother who had fallen away for a little while. No doubt the minister would say, oh, brother Charles is a, a little unstable at times. A little unstable? He does not know anything about grace. For grace engenders a holy caution because we feel that if we were not preserved by divine power, we should perish. We tell our friend to put an oil in his lamp that it may continue to burn. Does that imply that it will be allowed to go out? No, God will give him oil to pour into the lamp continually. Like John Bunyan's figure, there was a fire and he saw a man pouring water upon it. Now, says the preacher, don't you see that fire would go out? That water is calculated to put, out, put it out. And if it does, it will never be lighted again. But God does not permit that. For there is a man behind the wall who is pouring oil on the fire. And we have cause for gratitude in the fact that if the oil were not put in by a heavenly hand, we should inevitably be driven to destruction. Take care then, Christian, for this is a caution. I know that's a long thing, but what he's saying is this. These passages are put in here as a caution for us to drive us to persevere, to say, we don't want this to happen. We're not gonna allow this to happen, to be driven to grace, to say, God, hold me closer. God, hold me tighter. God, lift me up. Help me be held by you and you alone, not me. I don't want it to be about me. God, you make me persevere. God, you hold me fast to your truths. 
God, you draw me closer to you. And then that's what draws us to our spiritual disciplines because God says, this is what I've set up for you to draw closer to me. Reading my word, prayer, service, silence and solitude, all these different things that help us grow in our walk with the Lord, that help us to persevere in our walk with him. It really is a sad thing. And many of you probably know people who this has been. It's really a sad thing to see people in our pews for a while to just slowly fade away, to just slowly disappear. And to when you see them just living a life of sin completely, of completely abandoning the word of God. Those are some very hard people to ever reach again. I mean, that's kind of what this passage is saying. It's hard for those people to have tasted it before, tasted what church is like, tasted of it, and then to abandon it. It's hard to get them back. Doesn't mean you can't get them back. It's saying it's hard to get them back. We must be diligent in our walk with the Lord to persevere, to not fall into that slippery slope, to be faithful to the things that God calls us to and to honor him in our life and the way that we live, but to understand that it's him that holds us. It's him that sustains us. It's him that will never let us go. And we thank him and we praise him for that. Let's bow together tonight and let's pray. And then we'll be dismissed. God, I thank you for the truths of your word. I'm thankful, God, that you have given us avenues and ways that we can work for you, ways that we can work in our relationship with you. God, I'm thankful that our relationship with you is not one-sided. It's not all about me and how well I can do, but you also didn't just set, set me aside to do nothing. God, I'm thankful that your word tells us that when we come to you in prayer, that we enter that holy of holies before the throne of God and we have your ear. That you listen to us, that you care about us. God, you go so far as your word tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and is praying for us. God, you are praying for us. God, I thank you for that. God, I ask that you would help us to be willing to discipline ourselves in our walk with you. Help us to be in your word. Help us to seek your face in prayer. God, help us to serve. God, help us to do these things that set ourselves up for success. God, so that on that day when temptation comes or that minute or that hour seems to be so often, God, that we would have the strength to run away from it, that we would have the strength to to fight it, to flee from it. God, not because we're weak, but because we're strong, because we're able to get out of there. So God, help us in that endeavor. Strengthen us. Strengthen our weak knees, it would say in Hebrews chapter 12. Our arms that hang to our sides. Strengthen those again. God, I pray for each Christian in here tonight. I pray that you would start a, a fresh fire in their heart for you, for your word. God, that they would have, the, have a greater passion for you than they do anything else in their life. Whatever their hobbies are, whatever, you know, whatever the, the loves of their life are, God, I, I pray that you would surpass all those things. 
so that they would have a desire to know you more than anything else. God, I thank you again that you've set us up for success. I'm thankful, God, that you hold us, that you will never let us go. And God, we look forward to the day when we can see you face to face, when we get to worship you for eternity, where there is no more tears, where there is no more suffering, no hurt, no pain. But God, until that day comes, help us to be willing to endure hurt, to endure tears, to endure pain, to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel so that your name can be glorified above all things. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.